0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So, there's this chubby little five-year-old kid whose parents um, invited new neighbors into the neighborhood The new neighbors just moved in for, for, over to dinner for the first time. And as the family was saying a mealtime blessing, the 5-year-old kid noticed that the other family that was invited wasn't closing their eyes or bowing their heads. And so the amen is finished, and there was this kind of awkward silence uh, between the adults. They didn't really know how to proceed, what to say. But this little boy, he knew exactly how he was going to proceed. He got right down to the heart of the matter. He put his little chubby little finger out like this, and he said, Mister, you're going to hell. And so is your wife and kids. All of a sudden, the adults remembered there was, you know, something burning in the kitchen. They choked on their food. I mean, nothing like a little hellfire brimstone preaching to welcome new neighbors. I I mean, a little later on in that boy's life, he realized, where would those neighbors go anyway? I mean, he made a shocking statement, did he not? In the same way, Jesus makes shocking statements all over the scriptures and the gospels. He says things like, love your enemies. Not just your friends, but love your enemies. Be perfect. Be perfect, because God is perfect. Raise this temple, and in three days, or or uh, what's it say? You guys know the, the word. What is it? Destroy this temple. It's in John 2 somewhere. Destroy this temple and raise it again in three days. You know, he's talking about not the temple of Jerusalem, which Pastor Joe talked about last week, but his own body. Right, He says, even in John 6, if you don't eat my flesh or drink my blood, you have no life in me. I mean, are these shocking statements? Absolutely. And we want to, I love the the, the song that we sang here. Like, let me listen to every word you say because that's life to me. We don't want to miss God's word, especially the words of Jesus, because we want to preach about the whole life and the whole counsel of God. And so today we're going to talk about hell. And Jesus said a lot of stuff about hell. Look in the scriptures with him from Matthew's gospel. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, that's the devil or other people in this world, but cannot kill the what? Soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body where? In hell. As he speaks to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, he says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to where? To hell. I mean, Okay, you hear the little fat chubby boy saying, you know, this to this guy. And then what's kind of the difference between what, what Jesus is saying? That's a shocking statement. If your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of the members than your whole body to go where? In hell. So no matter how you slice it, whenever we talk about hell, it's not a pretty thing. It doesn't give you warm, fuzzy feelings inside. I get that, okay? 9-15 service, they were very quiet. All right? So I get that this is kind of a deep, serious topic. I get it. But at the same time, Jesus says much in the scriptures about it. I mean, it doesn't sell seats in stadiums or people in, in the seats at church. They say, okay, next week come here, Pastor Tony's gonna talk about hell. Right? In fact, many people who aren't Christians think, you know what, you Christians, you're just you're just saying that to scare people into believing. Or Maybe even they say Jesus, you know, he said it just to scare people because, you know, he wanted them to follow him. And so that's just what he said. I mean, believe it or not, in recent decades of the whole of Christendom, the whole Christian church, there was a a period of time when hell wasn't even spoken about throughout all of Christianity. In fact, in the best decade decade ever, the 80s, you know, um, there was a church historian, Martin Marty... Martin Marty who said this, he wrote a message entitled, Hell Disappeared and No One Noticed. And before Google, before the internet was around, you know, he did some scholarly, scholarly research and he researched and found not one single in any theological journal or anywhere writing about hell for the past century. So from the 1980s 100 years before, there was nothing about hell. It's like we went silent in the church. And he said, man, If the evangelical church would consider about this topic and what Jesus said about you think somebody would write about it. But he couldn't find one theological article. I think that's a telling thing. I mean, I think that's what Satan wants. Doesn't he? He wants everybody to think, I'm just a little guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. Don't worry about me, and hell isn't real. That's he who wants everybody to think, our culture included. And admit it. I'll admit it myself because I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of using the word heck instead of hell. But how often do we say hell just flippantly? Maybe you're guilty of it. Maybe you know another Christian. Maybe you know somebody who's not a Christian. Just says hell. Hey, we had a hell of a good time when H-E double hockey sticks freezes over, right? I mean, they even make a a dip called hell of a good dip. Ever taste that? I never did, but it's there. It's a hell of a good dip. I mean, who doesn't? I don't. Remember, I just said heck. But who says, what the? Right? And then does anybody ever give a single thought about what that means? When we say hell, do we think that it's actually a place that's prepared for the devil and his angels and there's torment there? I mean, do we ever think, no, it just goes on. Comes right out of our mouth and off we go. I think that's a double scheme to really think about. that. But did, did Jesus think this was a real place? Absolutely, think, just ask yourself this question. Why would Jesus be warning people about a place that didn't actually exist? Do you ever think about that? Why, why would he do that? Why would he warn people about a place that didn't actually exist? That's the next slide there. Why, why would he do that? I mean, if it weren't real. Now, I know that this isn't a topic, you know, that sells seats in church, but at Faith Lutheran Church, we are a place where we want to share the whole of God's truth. Not just skip that out and really communicate this truth to everyone that there is a relationship with Jesus as Savior that causes us to live eternally with God in heaven. And there is a lack of relationship with Jesus as Savior. I mean, when you say Savior, it means something about you, right? If you say Jesus is Savior, it means you're something. You need to be saved, right? And a lack of that causes one to live forever without God in heaven. Heaven, so there's really only two places you go when you die, just two. When you die, you're either in hell or you're in heaven. They're juxtaposed to one another in the scriptures. They're both real places. There's not some intermediary place that you can go to where, um, you know what, I'm just going to work off my sins in a place that's called purgatory that's not in the Bible, where, where I'm going to be purified and I'm actually not going to be able to, I'm not going to be in hell. That's not in the scriptures. And so when you die, you're either in heaven or in hell, and that's a permanent address for all of us. Does that make sense? That's a permanent address. So it's easy if anybody trivializes hell or jokes about it, you know that we really haven't studied the scriptures enough because the words of scripture talk about hell in this way. Blackest darkness, eternal life, weeping and gnashing of teeth i mean if anyone were to get a glimpse of hell a picture of hell for just a moment i think it would be the worst horror movie that we've ever seen i really do but jesus talks about this place in fact he's the one that talks about it the most in the new testament 13 percent of his teaching refers to judgment and hell two out of three of his parables parables that communicate a spiritual truth a story talk about end times judgment resurrection and death eternity He talks about it over and over again. And when he does, he's not cruel about it necessarily. But I can see, like we sang that song, I can see the love in his eyes. That he's candid with people. He's honest and open and just saying, this is what's going to happen. I don't think he's using it to scare people into heaven. Do you? I don't. But he talks about it. So if he talks about it, the church talks about it i think a good way to start would be a parable of jesus luke chapter 16 open up your bibles if you didn't bring one we provide one for you in the front there of those seats if you have your your phones or wherever uh some lady came up to me earlier and and said my husband's going to get my bible and said i forgot it in the car you know it's like oh one so you can actually touch the pages i was messing with you because remember the last sermon i preached i had you do that exercise nope okay that's no problem uh, Luke chapter 16, um, beginning in verse 19. Um, and here's what I want you to do as we talk about this. Uh, ask yourself when you read it, what can I really understand about what hell is like? And what can I really understand about what heaven's like? In a story, a parable, remember, a parable is, is a Jesus tells a story that communicates spiritual truth. And there's truth in the scriptures here about what heaven and hell are. Are like, and those that were given the Spirit of God, they kind of understand it. But those that have hard hearted, rebellious hearts, they're baffled. Like, what does he say? So, you ready? Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. I'm gonna stop there for just a minute and tell you luxury means like a seven course meal every time for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay? Like luxury. Everything that he could ever want, he lived. It was nothing was too expensive. So he lived in luxury every day, but at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. Another Greek word for that is Hades. In Hades or hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, here's a shocking statement of Jesus. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I don't know about you, but just so many things pop out about what heaven's like and what hell's like, more so what hell's like in these scriptures. Verse 22 the beggar dies and he's carried immediately by angels to heaven. Abraham's side means heaven. When the rich man dies, he's immediately, not later, no, heaven immediately, not after a purification process, hell immediately in verse 23. What's it say about hell? Agony, torment, hot fire. Verse twenty six. There's a great chasm in place so that no one can cross over from heaven. So a lot of things we're going to unpack uh, in a few moments. But here's what. But I want you to get. You know, hell's a yes. It is a terrifying place, and we're going to talk about in your bulletin. You know, its its location, its duration, its separation, its its uh, justification. But remember. Why we are talking about this now and emphasizing it is so that we might appreciate what Jesus did for us so that we're not there. Does that make sense? We're we're appreciating and understanding this place and being thankful to what God has done for each person in this world. For God so loved the world. Hell's location, okay? The rich man dies in this story, he found himself immediately, verse 23, experiencing agony, torment, unquenchable thirst. Now, I don't know about you, but it, I think it's a sobering thought to think about the God of the universe, quarantine a section or place in the universe for the devil and his angels and those who are not repentant, those who are rebellious. That's a sobering thought because everyone is an eternal being, yes? Everyone has a soul. I remember uh, working for Lambert Airport for 10 years. Five or six of those years, I was a public information officer. And back in the day, we had a little beeper, and I carried around uh, on the weekend sometimes a phone that was about five pounds heavy. You remember those? And you pick it up, and it was like the first cell phones. And, and the news media uh, would call when they would monitor the radio and they would hear something going on. Okay, let's call Tony at the airport. Air, airport spokesperson Tony Bose says, what do I say to them? Usually I say, there's a Boeing 727 inbound runway 12 left with 127 souls on board. Souls on board. I don't say people or persons or bodies, but I say souls. Because when some soul." And body die they're either going to be in heaven or hell but where's hell you ever think about that well from the parable the rich man is looking up so hell maybe is down but the bible really doesn't tell us a location but it does give us and i think it's a a one word chilling answer of jesus found in matthew chapter 22 verse 13 he says it's outside Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside, the Bible says, into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outside of what, though? Outside of where? Outside of heaven. Outside of God's presence. Outside of God's mercy. And make no mistake about it, when a person is outside, they can't go back inside. There's no escape hatch. There's no back door. Once you're outside, you're outside outside when you're inside you're inside hell's location outside and verse 26 says what has been fixed between them a great chasm that's uncrossable the bible says uncrossable that's hell's location what about hell's duration though everything about that hell's duration is eternal anybody ever say to you damn you Everybody, Have you been guilty of saying that to somebody? Do you ever think about what that means? I mean, I think about, if you, you could almost tolerate saying damn you if you knew that hell was not eternal. Right? If there was another way out. But it is not. Because the scriptures say it very clearly, Revelation 14 and Matthew 25, The smoke of their torment rises forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. Matthew 25, verse 46, Jesus summarized this fate of believers and unbelievers, both in the same adjective, the same way. He says, Then they, the unrighteous, will go away to what? Eternal punishment. But the righteous to where? Hell's eternal. It's going to last as long as heaven does. There is no end. Hell's location, hell's duration, hell's separation. Hell separation, I think this is kind of a a part where mm, it kind of got me when I was writing this because I thought about, uh, as I studied uh, different commentaries and different uh, articles about hell, I thought two things. It's a blessingless world. What does that mean? If you can think about your worst enemy here on earth or the worst person that you've ever known in history, Adolf Hitler, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, whatever, whoever that is, a serial rapist, killer, whatever, you know, they got to enjoy God's blessings just as much as we did. They could hear the cry of a baby being born. They could smell the, the, the smell of good food. They could see the sunrise, sunset, all that. They can But in a place called hell, it's a blessingless world. Why? Because God will not be there. God says, on this earth, I'll reign my blessing both on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. But in hell, uh-uh, he won't be there. What's also about hell? There's no corrective voice in hell. What do I mean by that? Every person in this world is body and soul, right? Body and soul. He's given you a body and he's given you a soul and, and he's given you the moral law of God written on your hearts. That's what the Bible says. The 10 commandments, whether you're a Jew, Hindu, christian buddhist whatever everybody knows right from wrong and they get this little voice in their head you know what that's a wrong thing to do to sleep with your wife it's a wrong thing to do to take your money where did that come from they don't have the bible it's already written in their hearts in hell that conscience is gone there's not going to be a peacekeeper or or a a, a law law there no God is going to be separate from that, and it's going to be chaos. You know, uh, back in the day, I, I'm guilty. I don't know about guilty, but, but you know, listening to, to ACDC, it's kind of rock and roll, right? You know, uh, anybody heard of you uh, heard that uh, uh, one song, Highway to Where? In, in, in the lyrics of that song, it says, I'm going down there. It's going to be a party, you know? And many people think, hey, I'm going to go there anyway. It's going to be a big party. Are they mistaken it's not going to be a party there's going to be no joy there no hope there no nothing in hell hell's existence have you ever thought about that maybe some of you uh the reason for hell's existence well really it's just hell's justification many people think you know what pastor i just can't understand this and by the way if you have any questions of me or any pat one of our pastors after this message please call us you know, it's been one of the quietest, quietest sermons I've had in a long time from you guys. Uh, uh, but I get it. So call if you have questions. But maybe some of you said, you know, how could a loving God, you ever get that? How could a loving God send people to hell? You know, that's just an easy thing to, to just say, hey, back off. I don't want to talk to you about this, right? And think about that, though. How could a loving God not have a place for the devil and his angels and those who rebel. I mean, I don't want to have in, in, in God's world and a new heaven and a new earth be be near people who are unrebellious and, and, and just no. Because the Bible says there's gonna be no more weeping, gnashing, or gnashing of teeth, or crying or pain. So think about that. God's fairness is that I mean if you ever if you have a judge, you know, I'm guilty. And if you have a judge you say, Oh, that's okay. You know, don't worry about it. I'll give you mercy. That's okay. I mean, would we want that? No. We want people to get what's due them. Right? The Bible promises that's what's going to happen to people who don't receive the mercy and grace of God. And here's what I want you to remember. Please, please remember this. Hell is a place for rebellious, resistant, and unrepentant sinners. Okay? Unrepentant sinners, that's what hell is for. Heaven is for repentant sinners. We're sinners regardless, right until the day I die. Thought, word, and deed, that's going to happen to me. But there's a difference, and the difference is repentance. And here, brothers and sisters in Christ, hear God's heart. Listen to it now from Ezekiel. The Old Testament, chapter 33, verse 11. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather desires that they turn. What's turn? Repent. Repent. Turn from their evil ways and and, and they live. God desires no one to be in hell. And listen closely, okay, right now. God does not send people to hell, they go to hell because of their own sin not because God sends them there I like the way Max Lucado puts it in a book that he wrote 316 Numbers of Hope he says this hell is the chosen place of the person who loves self more than God who loves sin more than his Savior who loves this world more than God's world judges in that moment when God looks at the rebellious and says your choice will be honored can you imagine Jesus looking at that? Like how your choice is gonna be honored. You don't want to receive my grace and my mercy? Your choice is honored then. Does God want that? Does God want that? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Because he loves us. He loves the world. That's his heart. And and remember last time I preached. Uh, I told you I was going to tell you a little bit about my mission trip to Kazakhstan. And so this family that I'm staying with, the the, the matriarch and patriarch, Sveta on the left, Yura on the right, Uh, this man I know, I stayed in his home. He's a Muslim. After the wedding, I got sick, fever, really sick. And and I think it was a God-ordained moment because the other mission team, they left to go celebrate, do some more partying for wedding stuff. Joel was at a different house. I was in this house with him and his daughter-in-law, Nasir Kay, and he was nursing me back to health. In fact, making me chicken soup. And 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 he said to me, he asked me this question, hey um Tony, when do you do you bury people that commit suicide? Whoa. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm just coming back from a fever, you know? I didn't to... <laughs> You want me to ask <laughs> I'm not going to explain how I'm going to answer that. Come to one of my classes, you know, in the fall. But but I did answer him, and he asked another question and another question, which led to another question, which led to me to share the gospel again and again and again with him and his daughter-in-law. And it was one moment in time when I looked in his eyes, and I looked at his daughter-in-law's eyes, and I knew they weren't getting it. They weren't believing. And at that moment... I thought, oh, my gosh, if Jesus were to come today, what's going to happen to this man? As nice as he is, I knew if any trouble came, that guy's got my back. He's going to protect me. He'd probably die for me because it's his country, and he's going to get what happens if Jesus comes back at that moment. Is he in heaven or is he in hell? He's in hell. You don't get to heaven by being a good person or by good works. Please hear that now. You don't. You get, to be, you get to heaven because you're a repentant sinner, not an unrepentant sinner. So my heart broke. My heart broke because this is such a good man, his wife. Russians, they don't cry. Guess what Sveta did when I left? She cried. It's amazing. that. But and here's the thing. I believe in the power of God's word. I believe that Jesus has not come back. That's what the scripture says. And this man still has a spiritual journey to be on. This man can hear the word of God in many and various ways. He could come to faith and say, I need a savior too. And that's my hope and that's my prayer. And as you sit in these seats, you probably are thinking in your mind, my spouse isn't saved. My daughter, my son, my close friend, who in your life you know isn't going to be in heaven with you? Does it make your heart break? Does it give you some urgency to share the good news of the gospel? Yes, in many ways, to show the love in Jesus' eyes and through the love in your eyes and love them into the kingdom, amen? amen. All right, one last thing about location, duration, separation, justification. It's a kind of a, a statement in, in Luke 16, it's verse 31. Take a look at that. It's Jesus saying that Abraham says this in this parable, remember, but he says this. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. How many miracles of Jesus did he raise people? The woman's son in name. Jairus' daughter. Another guy by the name of Lazarus. Did some people believe? Yes. Did others reject? Yes. Yes. And then Jesus himself rises from the dead. Are all people in this world Christian? No. It's so easy for Jesus to say this because he knows they're not even going to believe if someone is risen from the dead. But here you have it, the word of God. This rich man who has five brothers finally becomes compassionate in hell. He doesn't say this, hey God, hey Father Abraham, you know what, I really don't deserve to be in this eternal place he doesn't say that what's he say help my brothers tell them have somebody come back from the dead and tell them and jesus says you know what even if they do that i mean how hearted how hard-hearted hard-hearted can people be where the testimony of the scriptures is right here 500 people see jesus risen from the dead people die in faith because they're not going to go back on what they saw and people yet don't believe. And can you imagine God's heart in that? He's not sending people to hell. People are going there because they don't believe, because there's stubborn, hard-hearted hearts in this world. And one more thing about this story. You see, uh, you see the rich man is never named, right? You know his name? No, he's just a rich man. Do you know the, the poor beggar's name? Lazarus Lazarus in Hebrew means Eliezer. Eleazar means my God is my help. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can all be a Lazarus. Because if you're here today on a Sunday morning waiting to take Holy Communion, you're saying Jesus is my Savior because I need help. And God has helped us. He has done everything possible to keep us out of hell. He died on a cross for our sins. He willingly went to that cross, punished unjustly. That's what he has done. He's put a name on you. His name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're a child of God. Amen? Amen. And here's what it says from 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty... You might become rich. God, whose son is Jesus in heaven, had all power, authority, everything. But then he humbled himself, took on human flesh, and became obedient to death, death even on a cross, the book of Philippians says, for me and for you. Can you imagine that God foreknew you already? He saw you lying helpless, just like the beggar, in your sins, dead in your trespasses and sin. And he said, I'm going to make you alive again. You're going to be born again because my grace is going to touch you through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit, and we know that we can all say, you know what? I was a Lazarus. I am a Lazarus. I don't know what you think about this story, whether you're the rich man or the poor man, whether you want more, you have more in life, you know, you're concerned about your material possessions and selfishly gaining everything in the world, or whether you're the rich man who has nothing saying, I get to heaven, right? Who are you? Well, we're all Lazarus. We're all Lazarus. Amen? Amen. I pray that every one of you here today knows that good news because here's the last slide. Without Jesus, maybe you've heard this before. I preach it in my my funeral sermons all the time because people are there looking at a dead body and understanding what's my eternity going to be like. Without Jesus, this earth is the closest you're ever going to get to heaven. But with him, this earth is the closest you're ever going to get to hell. Is that good news? Here's some more good news. We get to share together a meal that Jesus has instituted 2,000 years ago. And it's a meal that says, when you come to this place, you're like Lazarus, begging for help. Saying, I have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and I need you to fill me up to give me assurance of the forgiveness of sins. And that's what you receive in Holy Communion. So would you just take a moment, bow your heads and your hearts, so as I prepare the table, prepare your hearts to receive Jesus. The Bible says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, the Bible says, 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, and he'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As you confess your brokenness to him, please receive his forgiveness through this sacrament And through these words, your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, all God's people say, amen.